0: Jesus Christ for sin. And uh, there was a man that was known as uh, a man by the name of Saul. And Saul was very zealous for the law. He knew the law, studied the law. And he was uh, actually so zealous for Saul that he persecuted Christians. He would harm them. He would go door to door, travel places to try and harm them, to stop the preaching of the gospel. And as this man Saul was on the road to go and harm more Christians... He met, he resurrected and ascended Christ. I'm telling you a story, by the way, from Acts chapter 9 verse and actually Acts chapter 16. Christ met with Saul on that road. Saul, by the grace of God, truly, as he met with Christ, he came to faith in Christ. He turned away from uh, harming God's people in Christ Jesus. and He became a friend or brother to them. He converted, gave his life to Christ, and... Uh, Christ actually appointed this man, Saul, to be a messenger to the Gentile people. The Gentile would be a non-Jew. He was the messenger to carry the gospel to the nation. And so one of the uh, ways that we see that Paul, or Saul, was born again was he took on a new name. His name became Paul. And so Paul, as I mentioned, was appointed to spread the gospel to the Gentile people. And one of the ways he did this is uh, he took what was called the, the what we now call the second missionary journey. And as he was traveling, he had a few companions with him. He traveled from an island named Samothrace, and he goes across a little body of water, and he shows up on the ground. And he's got three other traveling companions with him. He's got a guy named Silas, a guy named Timothy, uh, and a guy named oh, Timothy, Timothy, Who else was the other guy? Paul, Timothy, Silas, and Luke. Luke was a doctor. Uh, he wrote the book of Acts and the book of Luke. There, with it, these four guys get off the boat and they begin to walk. And they go ten, twelve miles or so. And they are now on the uh, what is modern-day Greece, the continent of Europe. And they descend upon the city by the name of Philippi. Philippi was kind of a bustling city at the time, which was kind of known as that mini Rome of sorts. And they go in there, and what Paul's uh, typical practice was is he would find synagogues. And he would go into those synagogues and he would preach the gospel because he understood the law, the Old Testament, really well. And he knew that Christ was the answer to that Old Testament. And he would go into those synagogues and share with them how Christ has come, the Messiah has come. And people would respond and give their lives to Christ, and they would then form a church. Well, one thing that was interesting about this time, when he goes into Philippi, they're now so far removed from Israel, there's not as many Jews, so... Paul apparently can't find a synagogue anywhere in this town of Philippi. So these four guys begin to walk through the town and they hear that there are some women that are meeting just outside of the city, next to a river, on the Sabbath praying. So they decide to go outside and they go and see these women and they uh, find that they're praying. And uh, one of the ladies that is there is a woman by the name of Lydia. Lydia was a well known gal. She uh, probably was very wealthy. She sold purple goods. And she was a lover of God. She loved God. But she'd never heard the gospel before. She didn't know Christ. And so Paul, along with these other guys, they shared the gospel with not only her, but others. But we know that the grace of God seemed to be evident as they began to share the gospel with these ladies next to that riverside. Because Lydia was giving a heart and a mind to hear the good news of the gospel. But she was changed. She trusted Christ, just as Paul did. Right there next to that riverside. They then went, that little those four guys took went with Lydia, and they went back to Lydia's house. And then Paul and those other three men, they then share the gospel with Lydia's family. And guess what happened? They came to faith in Christ. And so uh, after this, you now have Lydia's family, and these guys, Lydia's family, that is baptized, just as we see baptisms happening here. And that in and of itself is an amazing story, but the story goes on here in Little Philippi Philippi. all the way to going to that riverside, they met uh woman, a slave girl that had an evil spirit in her. And this woman uh, that had an evil spirit within her, well, she was a bit annoying with Paul. So, um, she became so, Paul became so annoyed by this woman, Paul calls the evil spirit out of this woman, and the evil spirit does, in fact, come out of the woman. And that is much to be rejoicing about, right? There's only one problem that happened as a result of this. There were a couple men that this woman worked for as a result of this evil spirit coming out of her, they now lost their income. This then causes these men to go and then begin to accuse those four guys that I mentioned before, these missionaries that are going, and they're much like almost the same number, the same kind of folks that are going in a couple weeks to the Middle East. Same kind of thing happened. Well, because this happened, these men that were lost their income, they get upset at these people, and they say that these four men are teaching things that are not in accordance with what the city of Philippi believes. And as a result, they are so upset they then begin to beat these men with rods. The Bible tells us they beat them and beat them and beat them and beat them. A whole crowd came out and began to encircle them and beat these men because they're spreading the gospel. Well, as a result of this, at the conclusion of this time, these four men are then taken and placed in jail. And we would think the story would sort of stop there, but the story keeps going. So they're in jail, these four men are in jail for having preached the gospel. They're beaten, they're bludgeoned. It's been a rough day. And as they're in that jail, if you or I, we'd probably get quiet and that sort of thing, but not these guys. These guys begin to sing hymns. They begin to sing hymns, presumably about Christ, for Christ, and the glory of Christ. And as they're singing, the ground begins to shake. An earthquake begins to happen. And as a result of this, the candles go out, it's at nighttime. And also, we find that the door to the prison flings open. Well, sitting inside of there, actually just next to that jail cell, is a jailer. His job is to make sure these guys stay in jail. And when the lights go out, he sees the door of the prison cell open. He assumes that these guys are all gone. And therefore, his job has failed. And as a result of this, he then begins to consider to take his own life. And out of the darkness, he hears a voice. We're still here. Do not harm yourself. It was Paul. They hadn't left. The men of great character, these four men were. Even though they had been beaten, they did not leave that jail cell. The jailer is struck by this that they didn't do that. And the jailer then asked, I want to know more about this Jesus that you're singing about. And so Paul then shares the gospel with the jailer, and guess what happens? He gives his life. The jailer so excited about this, does the same thing Lydia does. They go back to the jailer's house, and then these four men, they share the gospel with the jailer's family. And then they trust in Christ, and are then baptized. And so now you have a church. You have Lydia's family, you have Lydia and her family, you have the jailer and his family, and then a few others come along along the way. You've got Euodia and Clement and Syntyche, and this other guy named Epaphroditus will come up in a little bit. Now you have a bustling little church. It is beautiful. It's exactly the way the gospel just spread all over the nation. But some time had passed. Paul kind of goes on. He plans his church, and he begins to plan other churches. And this little church in Philippi supports Paul tremendously. They've they become a great support system for Paul in ways that other churches weren't. So when Paul would have needs, they would give him support, money, or who knows what else they're sending him. Uh, but they go into partnership with his mission journey well, 10 years have passed. All of that that I just mentioned happens roughly 49 AD. About 10 years, 11 years pass, and this little church, church in Philippi, finds out that their old pastor, Pastor Paul, is in prison. He's in prison again. He's in prison in Rome. So this church loves Paul, and so they didn't. Uh, take one of their own, Epaphroditus, along with some other gifts to carry to Paul, to encourage him, to strengthen him. Same kinds of things that we will do, although our brothers and sisters in the Middle East are not right now in prison. They might be someday, but, uh, same kind of thing that we're going to do to encourage them. Well, they hear it, and goes. Epaphroditus gets sick and almost dies on the way from Philippi to Rome. a long ways away. But he finally, he does, he does get there, and he sees Paul, no doubt Paul and him, Embrace each other. It's so good to see each other. Who knows how long they've been seeing each other. And they sit down, and Epaphroditus uh, brings those gifts that the church in Philippi had shared with Paul. Paul, no doubt, is encouraged. Whatever needs he has are now supplied. And then uh, they begin to talk about the church and what happened. Paul's asking how the church in Philippi is going. How's Lydia doing? How's Epaphroditus the uh, there? How's Clement doing? Okay. You know, and then what we find out is the pastor dies, apparently begins to tell it there's a few things that are, uh, are not as good, but there's a lot of good things happening in the church, but there are a few things that are not good. And the pastor dies and then begin to talk. We find out that dies, shares with Paul that there's a little bit of grumbling. There's some false teaching around the city. And apparently there's some arrogance maybe kind of beginning to creep in, in the church. And Paul's concerned about this, and so what he does is he writes a letter to he writes a letter to them to instruct them and remind them about the grace of the gospel. And guess what? We have that letter today. That same letter that he wrote and gave to Epaphroditus to carry back, we have it. It's in the Bible. It's called Book of the This book, this letter, was written, as I mentioned, some 60 AD. Uh, in this letter, it's not just any letter, this is a letter... Read, out or inspired by God as Paul wrote. This letter is not only instructive and authoritative for that church, it's it's instructive for any gospel religious church. So, this is the letter that Paparazzi carried back. I'm going to read it to you. Philippians chapter 1 verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints who are in Christ Jesus, who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it into completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, within my imprisonment and in defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am good here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my prison. For what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and that help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ... This will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with the full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, but that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that you all will remain and continue. I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, make ear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engage with the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and tripling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's pretty good work. I was a son with a father. He has served me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, and fellow worker, and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all, and he has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. And indeed he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him. Not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice in seeing him. Again, and that I may be less anxious to receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died from the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me. It's safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision. who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. circumcised in the eighth day uh, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law of blameless. Whatever I have, whatever gain I have, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. If anything you think otherwise, if anyone, anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of them I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Our citizenship is in heaven. From it we await to save the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm. Thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat you, Odia, and I entreat Syntyche, to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask, I ask you also, true companion, help these women all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, have you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things. God's peace will be with you. I rejoice when the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. And I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you, Philippians yourselves, know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, God. Well, friends, let me offer a couple very brief observations. About those last three verses in particular. First off, I want you to notice two things. Actually, I want you to see two things in those last three verses, 21 down to 23. Two things. The unity that we have in Christ, and the grace of Christ. The unity in Christ and the grace of Christ. So, first off, notice the unity of Christ, how all Christians are saints. You see that there? All Christians are saints in Christ Jesus. Those three words, by the way, in Christ Jesus, critical to understand. If you're a Christian, you understand yourself to be a follower of Christ, and you're not sure how to explain those three verses, give yourself this whole week to try to do that. Hopefully you'll see you model it. But all Christians are saints in Christ Jesus. A saint is a person who has trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation, and they're trusting in His blood to make them holy. And that's what a saint is. It means holy ones. So a saint is not, as the Catholic Church, uh, as the Catholic Church teaches, a saint is not kind of special class of Christian. That is not true, and you can tell that just by reading those verses. Right? Take a look. Right there, we find there that every Christian is a saint. That's what Paul says. And so every Christian is special because every Christian has been made holy by the blood of Christ. And so since all Christians are holy in Christ, all Christians are then united to Christ, and because all Christians are united to Christ, we are then united to each other. In the wedding yesterday, and I thought about it: Two people become one, united to each other. So we in Christ united to him, so we are united together, one. And so that's why that's why Paul wants the Philippians to greet all the other Christians, because every true Christian everywhere is truthfully united to Christ and to one another. under the covenant of Christ. So all Christians are equally redeemed since they equally share the blood of Christ which makes them holy. So there's one united family in Christ and so we should all greet each other everywhere we go. We should be reminded of all that we have in common no matter how different we may be. So this is why, by the way, we pray for all kinds of churches, not just Baptist churches. We pray for all kinds of churches, because we recognize this. We recognize the visible Presbyterian, Anglican, Methodist churches are all part of the one invisible church, insofar as they believe the gospel. So that's why, for instance, we we have regularly done a Good Friday service with a Christian Missionary Alliance church and an Anglican church. You'll even notice if you've done those on our Good Friday services, what do we do? We share the Lord's Supper together. In other words, we sit at a table in fellowship and have a family meal and being reminded of the thing that makes us family. The same gospel that we believe in, Jesus Christ. Now it's true, we have uh, some differences of uh, understanding about Scripture on secondary and tertiary matters the thing that we share most important to us, the gospel of Jesus Christ we agree on. and So we're family. One single family eating the Lord's Supper together. And so since we're family, joined together, uh, we have been joined to Christ and we're never then alone. Christians should never be understood to be alone. Nor should we operate alone. So this is one of the reasons the church exists to be a place where Christians can live together as a family doing things families do You're not alone I love what Pastor John, John MacArthur John says about this he says quote the Christian singer is not a soloist he's a member of a choir the Christian soldier is not a solitary figure he's a member of an army the Christian scholar is not a privately tutored learner he's part of a class in a school the Christian son is not just a lonely child he's a member of a family Christian runner is not an individual performer. He's part of a team. Saints are not grouped of people that exist in isolation. They're common possessors of eternal life of God who share their love with each other. So the church is a fully functioning family having been united to Christ and united to one another in giving and receiving of the love of Christ. Now I realize though some, sometimes pundits of Christianity say that we have no unity in the church. In light of all the denominations that they see. That, of course, is a ill-informed observation and taken, since it's taken from an earthly perspective. Every saint on planet Earth is equally a saint in Christ Jesus and because of that we are, as Paul references right there in verse 21, uh, brothers and, or we could say brothers and sisters, that word there would be, you can translate it as brothers and sisters. Because we are united as saints in Christ, we are all family. We're brothers and sisters. We're family, together, saints in Christ Jesus. Our unity was accomplished on the cross of Christ and it was sealed by the blood of Christ and nothing can diminish that. There is no greater power than the blood of Christ. That unity can never be taken away from us. Now if a local church swerves from the gospel, gospel doctrine, they then reveal themselves to be those that are opposed to the gospel and therefore are outside the faith. They are not in the family, since they have not been made a saint in Christ Jesus. So the call here from Paul to greet all the saints, and the news of all the saints greeting them, was a fresh reminder as a gospel-believing church that they, just like us, are part of a bigger story. A bigger family. This was something that the individuals in this church, it seems like they were beginning to lose sight of Maybe a little arrogance with all the calls to humility, some grumbling, the infighting. They lost sight of the thing that held them together. They were beginning to lose sight of it. And this was what behind all of Paul's counsel in this letter. When he called into oneness, to have the same attitude of Christ Jesus, to think of others as better than themselves, to think on good things, to agree in the Lord. The most important things about them were in agreement. They were together. Paul calling them to greet all Christians was his kind of final crescendo to remind them of that. He was lifting up their eyes to see that they were part of something more important than themselves. You we were all one in Christ Jesus. Be at peace with God. since God in peace with you. So likewise for us, Restoration Church, as we leave this letter, be reminded that we are rivals. Jesus chose us and he buried us And so we are now one with him, and we are one with each other. The most important things about us, guys, we hold in common. The most important realities, we hold in common. And so if we are holding fast to the gospel, there should be nothing that separates us, since there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. We should always strive to agree in the Lord, since the Lord agrees with us, that we are his saints, that we are his wife. And so, don't let petty differences divide you. Don't be arrogant. Stay away from false teaching. Stand firm in the gospel. Enjoy your faith family. And all of our many differences. And insofar as it depends upon you, go and be reconciled with other brothers and sisters if you have contention with them. Whether that be contention of, with people in this home church, in this church, or some other church, go and be reconciled with them. Enjoy the unity of Christ. Remember, what holds you together is stronger than anything that they keep you apart. And also, this is so fun to think about, when our members, like the wise this week, on Wednesday, when they leave this church and they go to another church, they get to go and be part of another church. They get to go and greet other saints in Christ Jesus there. Right? I mean, just think about this. It's fun to think about. It. I guess maybe they're still sleeping, perhaps. But the wise when wake up this morning... They're going to go to church in Seattle, Washington. And they're going to walk in the doors of that gospel-believing church. And they can greet each other because they're family. They it's a fun thing to think about. It makes us think about how the gospel has spread throughout all the world and is spreading. And this is a fun thing to think about as I look at the Belotians that are here this morning. You know, and Madeline that is here this morning. We have people that are coming back that have moved and they come back periodically to gather with us. How fun it is to think about the fact that the Belotians got to go straight to Chicago and worship and greet the saints there. And Madeline and the Olo and the rest of their family went back to Canada and greeted the saints there. The gospel just keeps spreading. And we rejoice in it. And the day is going to come we will all be together. Where's the big goal? As one. No longer having to worry about whether or not somebody moves. And if they do, we can just see them a few thousand years later and go big deal. And I think, by the way, that's why Paul writes that little line there. All the saints greet you, especially those who Caesar's household. I think he's kind of winking at the Philippian church. The Philippian the church, the city of Philippi, was known as a mini-Rome. And for the Philippian church, this little small little church that I'm sure felt small in comparison to this great city of Philippi, for him, for that little church to find out that the gospel was now had now gotten inside of the walls of Rome's leadership, I'm sure that the church of Philippi was like, Oh, Paul's over there in prison. He's still getting it done. Yeah. The gospel is spreading and so brothers and sisters may spread here in Washington, D.C. We are, And so Restoration Church be reminded of the unity that we have as a church, family, and greet all the saints in Christ Jesus with joy. There's so much in common. And secondly, secondly, be reminded that we are only able to enjoy this unity because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be reminded that we are only able to enjoy this unity that we have because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that is with our spirit. You can see those last words there, verse 23. And it's interesting to know that, as I learned this week, it's interesting to know that every single Pauline epistle in the Bible, from Romans all the way to Philemon, everyone in between, do you know? You've talked to me this week, I probably asked you this question. Uh, do you know that the prayer of grace begins every one of his letters, and the prayer for grace ends every one of his letters, every single one? Of them. Now, why would he do that? Why would Paul begin all his letters with grace, prayer of grace, to the recipient, and end with prayer of grace? Why? I wonder how you answer that question. Why do you think he would do that? Here's my answer. I think the reason why Paul begins with grace and ends the letter with grace was because he knows that the Christian life begins with grace and it is sustained by grace. Right? Grace is the most wonderfully unique aspect of the Christian faith that sets it apart from all world religions. As we just saw, we are only saints because we are in Christ Jesus. I am not a saint, Nathan Knight. I'm not a saint because I'm in Nathan Knight. If I'm in Nathan Knight, then I'm going to hell. I'm a saint in Christ Jesus. That is to say, the record of Christ was transferred to me, his faithful disobedience, and so I'm now in him. And my record of disobedience was transferred to him on the cross. He pays for that, he takes my record, and I get his record accounted to me, and therefore I'm wedded to him, married to him, and so now I am in Christ Jesus, In his record, his righteousness becomes mine. How did that happen? Well, because you know I went to seminary, right? That's it. No, that's ridiculous. You know because I, I read my Bible every day. No, no, not at all. Because I go to church most of the time. No, because of the grace of Christ. Zero, zero, zero work of my own caused me to be in Christ Jesus. We became saints not having done any work of our own, but only because of the free grace of God in Christ Jesus. See, whereas in other religions, they are told to perform certain acts with enough sincerity and enough frequency, then perhaps, if you do those well enough, maybe God will give you some mercy to cover up all the rest of the junk, and then you might be let into his kingdom. That's slavery. The gospel says something so different. The exact opposite of that. The gospel of Jesus Christ agrees what we all know yet rarely to talk about out loud. So the gospel of Jesus Christ agrees with the fact that we're messed up. We know it, right? We don't tell people how messed up we are, do we? We want to talk about it too much. You heard Joey pray that a while ago. The gospel of Jesus Christ agrees that we're trained. This is why we use the language here at Restoration Church that we are a collection of deeply flawed, yet gloriously saved saints. We can own our being deeply flawed. No longer having to try to hide it, even though we still do. I could just come up here and say what a piece of work I am. And just own it, because I've been saved by Jesus Christ. His grace counts me whole. All by His grace. You want to know how deeply flawed this church is? i tell you, If you're a visitor here, at least show you how deeply flawed. We're not going to talk about it very much because we don't want you to think badly. That's how deeply. But we all know, in agree, in fact, we're never deeply flawed. We don't want to talk about it because you might think less of us. We don't want you to think less of us. But we all know that. But we just don't talk about it much. That's how deeply flawed we are. That's how messed up we are. That's why we needed grace. You cannot obey enough to be made holy. God had to grant grace to us in order to clean us and wash us and make us holy. And So if you're here this morning considering the Christian faith, wondering why anyone would want to be a Christian, here's your answer. Because there was one person, only one person, who ever lived on planet Earth that never did anything wrong, and yet loved all the people that knew they did do something wrong. There's only one person, and his name is Jesus. He's the only one. He loved sinners so much that he was willing to lay down his life so that those sinners could be raised to new life. And this, by the way, explains why all the riffraff loved Jesus and why all the self-righteous didn't. Because all the riffraff knew that they were messed up, and all the riffraff, they thought that by their external acts of obedience, they were fine, they didn't need him. But all the riffraff, all the prostitutes and the drunkards and the tax collectors, all those guys, they knew they needed, they knew they were broken. And the whole community reminded them often, however they were, which is why they loved Jesus so much, because he knew that he was a God of grace, that he could give them the one thing that they needed—love and forgiveness. He was gracious, and this, friends, is why Jesus Christ literally changed the world, because Jesus's love for sinners was not conditioned on our obedience; it was conditioned his obedience for those of us who believe That's revolutionary. That is grace. So this is why Paul would begin the letter with grace and end it with grace. Because the whole Christian life is grace. The whole thing. We lose grace, we lose the gospel. All that Paul called the Philippian church to was dependent upon the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Which is why Paul spent so much time talking to the Philippians about living for Christ about counting everything as lost to gain. Him. Because Paul understood what the Philippian church needs to understand, what we all need to understand, namely, that we have to have Jesus. He's all we have. He's the most important reality in our lives. It's all we need, because His grace makes us sufficient, for God to give us life and Godliness. Paul saw that starting to fracture. He was trying to present it. If you need Christ, remember, flush your resume down the toilet. Who cares if you have Jesus? It's all you need. Restoration Church all that we have been called to in this letter all the calls to humility and joy and generosity it comes from the fountain of grace that is in your Lord Jesus Christ it doesn't come from you it comes from him isn't it good to know that isn't it good to know that your obedience or disobedience does not legislate God's love for you but instead since Christ is in you You're a saint. You're holy. You're clean. You're forgiven. That's how he sees you. I don't know how you see yourself. That's how God sees you, if you're in Christ. Saint. We are all deeply flawed, brothers and sisters. But God sees us as saints. We are loved and we are light. For the God that set the whole world into existence and keeps it together. Nothing can change that. Not even our own sin, since it's been paid for at the cross. So, lastly, if you're here this morning seeking to be freed from your sin, or maybe you're tired of religiosity, trying to try to perform for God, you're kind of weary of you that. Know? I've got good news for you. Look to the Lord Jesus Christ. In his grace, that's what Paul is ending at, verse 23. Look to the Lord Jesus Christ. I love this verse in Hebrews 12. He, Jesus, is the author and perfecter of your faith. On you. On me. He's the one. Author. He authored it. He brought it about. And the perfecter. He's the one that's going to complete. How? By His grace. Trust Him. Stop trusting yourself. Stop trusting your own obedience. Trust Him. Confess your sin. Gladly. Freely. Confess your sin. He's glad to take it off Trust Christ's sacrifice for you on the cross for sin. And by his grace, receive that grace by believing. By believing that he can forgive you, clean you, and give you new life in the resurrection, the power of the resurrection. Receive it, friend. Receive it as Paul did. Receive it as Lydia did. Receive it as that jailer did. Receive it as I did. Be united to this collection deeply flawed saints that spans the globe, it spans the centuries. A people for God's own name and renown that will live in eternity together passing in the globe of the glory of Christ. If you'd like to know more about that, come talk to me. Talk to Paper, the person that brought you. But as we close, as we leave this little letter to the Philippians, Restoration Church, I want to read this to you. A call to you. The Restoration Church greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Whether you work with them, whether you travel and find them, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. And know, know that the brothers and sisters from around the world they greet you. You're their family. The gospel is thicker than blood. And as you have begun by grace, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit as you go about that great and glorious work of making disciples that delight in the supremacy of Christ. Receive the grace of your legion, Lord Jesus Christ, be with your spirit at the end of the age.